Warning. This podcast contains graphic content that some listeners may find offensive or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. everyone, and welcome back to Bad News Betty. I'm your host, Hannon, and I'll be delivering you your weekly bone-chilling true crime fix every Murder Monday. To get in the spooky October mood, today I'll be covering the Devil Made Me Do It case. If you haven't seen the newest Conjuring film that's based on this case, I highly recommend it. So this is actually the first known court case in the United States in which the defense sought to prove innocence based upon the defendant's claim of demonic possession. We start our story in Brookfield, Connecticut in the 1980s with the Glatzel family, which consisted of the mother, Judy, the husband, Carl, 14-year-old Carl Jr., 13-year-old Alan, 11-year-old David, and 26-year-old Debbie. And Debbie is engaged to 19-year-old Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, who went by Cheyenne. On a nice summer day in 1980, 11-year-old David accompanied his mother to Debbie and Cheyenne's new rental home. They described it as their perfect dream house in the country. It was yellow with olive green shutters and set back far in the woods. They were doing some minor renovation projects and cleaning prior to moving in, and David decided to go exploring around the house alone when he entered a room with a waterbed that the prior family had left behind. What kid wouldn't get excited about a waterbed, right? Things took a turn quickly when he claims he was shoved onto the bed by an apparition of an old man in a plaid shirt and jeans. David said the man started mumbling things at him like that he would hurt his family if they moved on to the property. He rightfully so breaks the hell out and runs downstairs to his mom who thinks he's just making things up to get out of cleaning. Unfortunately, it seemed that this spirit attached itself to David because later that night when he got home, he claimed he saw the old man again, but this time he started to morph and look different. He described him as having burnt-looking skin, bare feet, and he was now speaking in different languages that was thought to be Latin. I don't know about y'all, but my inner Catholic is starting to freak out a little at this point. He supposedly told David he was going to take his soul, and soon after, David started referring to him as the Beast. David started seeing the Beast more and more frequently, and he even started appearing to him throughout the day, continuously taunting and tormenting him. David said he continued to change in appearance and eventually developed big, gaping black eyes, a thin face, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. These encounters continued to get more and more frequent and violent. David began having some significant changes in behavior as well. Before all this started, he was described as sweet, friendly, and a happy kid that rarely got in trouble. But after coming into contact with this entity, he became closed off, anxious, and even began getting verbally and physically abusive towards those around him. His family reported that David started waking up convulsing and acting as if he was being choked by an unseen force. He even started waking up with scratches and bruises all over his body. So his family had to start taking shifts to watch David while he slept to try to keep him safe. David was taken to several different psychiatrists, and the only diagnosis that they came up with was a learning disability, which gave little insight as to why David was behaving the way he was. The family then reached out to the pastor of their church for help. He came out and blessed the house, but to no avail. This is when the infamous and controversial Ed and Lorraine Warren got involved. 
For those of you who don't know, Ed and Lorraine were very devoted Catholic American paranormal investigators and authors associated with several prominent cases of alleged hauntings and possessions. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer, and Lorraine was said to be psychic and clairvoyant. When Lorraine met David, she said she saw a black, misty form next to him and that his face would contort to where he no longer looked like David. They determined that the entity that was attached to David was inhuman and evil, aka a demon. David underwent several minor exorcisms. Minor forms of exorcism are typically done for those preparing for baptism, not for those believed to be possessed. It's essentially just certain prayers that request God's assistance so that the person to be baptized will be kept safe from the power of Satan or protected in a more general way from temptation. There are also major exorcisms, which is a rite that can only be performed by a bishop or a priest with the special and express permission of the Pope. This form is directed at the expulsion of demons or to the liberation of a person from demonic possession. So a little scarier for sure. And the Catholic Church won't just authorize an exorcism willy-nilly either. There are specific rules and guidelines that must be followed, and the need for an exorcism must be thoroughly proven and approved by the Code of Canon Law. Now, during these minor exorcisms, those in attendance claimed that they saw David levitating. They said he stopped breathing several times, he began hissing and spitting at people, he was speaking in strange tongues that no one could understand, and he also gave the names of the 43 demons that were supposedly possessing him. They also report that he would mockingly quote the Bible as well as verses from Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost is an epic poem in blank verse by the 17th century English poet John Milton. The poem concerns the biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. David also predicted that a murder would be coming soon. Now, believe it or not, Brookfield had never had a homicide in the 193 years that it existed. And Ed and Lorraine took David's warning seriously. They even took it upon themselves to warn the local police that this property was extremely dangerous and that David was now threatening violent acts. Cheyenne, remember who's Debbie's fiance, was very protective of the family and very protective of David. But he definitely messed up during these exorcisms. He would say things along the lines of, come into me and leave him alone. Take me on instead of him. I'm not afraid of you and I'll fight you. David reportedly told Cheyenne, quote, they're laughing at you. A few days later, Cheyenne was involved in a serious car crash where he suddenly lost complete control of the car and went headfirst into a tree. Coincidence or demons? Debbie reported that after the crash, she would catch him in these weird trances where he would begin to growl. She would try to slap him out of it, but she said that she couldn't. Cheyenne reported that during these trances, he would see the demon or beast that was afflicting David, and he would lose bodily autonomy and suffer memory loss. Debbie reported that Cheyenne began acting even more strangely, like she would wake up from a dead sleep with him staring down at her. She would catch him hitting furniture and screaming about hell, and he would have meltdowns while they were at mass. She said that she would even occasionally hear two voices coming out of his mouth. All I have to say about all of that is no thank you. So now we have this set up for our main story. Let's talk about Debbie and Cheyenne's landlord for this hellish property. His name was Alan Bono, and he also owned a dog kennel where he employed Debbie as a dog groomer. Debbie, Cheyenne, and Alan were all very friendly with each other and by all accounts had a good relationship. 
On February 16, 1981, Cheyenne decided to call out of work to go hang out with Debbie at the kennel. When he got there, his sister Wanda, Debbie, Debbie's cousin Mary, and Alan were all present. Alan decided to take them all out to lunch, which was not an uncommon occurrence. And this was all after Cheyenne had taunted that demon beast entity and started acting all kooky. Some reports say Cheyenne and Alan were drinking during lunch. Other reports say it was just Alan drinking. But apparently Alan was being belligerent and grabbed Mary, who again was Debbie's cousin, who was nine, by the way, when she tried to leave. I'm not sure in what manner he grabbed her, but Cheyenne got very defensive. So Debbie went to grab Mary and Alan finally released her. Wanda, Cheyenne's sister, stated that Cheyenne's face seemed to change and quickly become distorted. She said he was growling when he charged Alan with a five-inch pocket knife. Cheyenne plunged the knife into Alan four or five times, including one wound that started from his stomach and ended at the base of his heart. While keeping a blank face, Cheyenne calmly walked off into the woods as Alan fell to the ground, but he was found shortly after and arrested, and Alan ended up dying several hours later at the hospital. When the Warrens heard about what happened, they immediately came to Cheyenne's defense, hence the innocent due to demonic possession defense. Cheyenne's lawyer, Martin Manella, said, quote, I could put the Pope on and he would tell you that if a guy is demonically possessed, he is not responsible. The priests were supposed to be present for Cheyenne's defense, but the bishop of the diocese would not allow them to speak about their practices. It was also stated that no priest had performed a formal exorcism on David. Remember, it was only minor exorcisms, because the Bishop of Bridgeport had so far declined to authorize the rite, even though supposedly the two priests that were present for the minor exorcisms with David went to the bishop with tapes full of evidence that they thought would prove he needed a major exorcism. They and the Warrens asked if one could be performed. It's said that one of the reasons a formal or major exorcism had not been authorized for David is that the family had not consented to all of the necessary psychological testing that the church requires. One of the priests stated, It's a delicate situation in cases of this nature. You don't presume anything. Through prayers and through observation, you make a decision. Lots of things we can explain through psychology, and yet we can't explain everything rationally. What we're looking for is a balance. These things do exist, and these things do happen, but not that often. And he's saying these things as in demonic possession. Judy, David's mother, was not happy with the father's explanation. She said she took her son to a psychiatrist who charged $75 an hour, and remember earlier when he was only diagnosed with a mild learning disability. And then the psychiatrist wanted to see the whole family at the next visit. Back in the day, $75 an hour was a lot of money to pay. I mean, it still is today, honestly. Judy went on to say, they just want to stick needles in my kid, and there's no way in hell they're going to do that. Cheyenne's trial began on October 28, 1981 in Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury. Manella, Cheyenne's attorney, planned to fly in exorcism specialists from Europe because England was the only other place someone had attempted to plead innocent due to possession. Manella also threatened to subpoena the priest who oversaw David's exorcisms if they didn't cooperate with the defense. However, when he attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, the presiding judge promptly rejected this defense, arguing that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to lack of evidence and that it would be irrelevant and unscientific to allow related testimony. The defense then chose to imply that Cheyenne acted in self-defense. 
Because of this, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a viable explanation for the killing. The jury deliberated for 15 hours over a three-day period, convicting Cheyenne on November 24, 1981 of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, but he ended up only serving five. In 1983, Gerald Brittle, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, published a book about the incident called The Devil in Connecticut. Lorraine stated that profits from the book were shared with the Glassell family, and sources confirmed that $2,000 was paid to the family by the book publisher. Upon the book's republication in 2006, David and his brother, Carl Jr., sued the authors and book publishers for violating their right to privacy, libel, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Carl Jr. also claimed that the book alleged that he committed criminal and abusive acts against his family and others. He said that the possession story was a hoax concocted by Ed and Lorraine Warren to exploit the family and his brother's mental illness, and the book presented him as the villain because he did not believe in the supernatural claims. He asserted that the Warrens told him the story would make his family millionaires and would help get Cheyenne out of jail. According to Carl Jr., the publicity generated by the incident forced him to drop out of school and lose friends and business opportunities. In 2007, he began writing his own book titled Alone Through the Valley about his version of events surrounding his brother David. Lorraine Warren defended her work with the family, saying that the priests who were involved in the incident agreed at the time that the boy was possessed and that the supernatural events she described were real. And Jared Brittle says he wrote the book because, quote, the family wanted the story told. He also claims that he possesses video of over 100 hours of his interviews with the family and that they signed off on the book as accurate before it went to print. As for Cheyenne and Debbie, they ended up staying together and got married while he was still in prison. They say that they wholeheartedly support the Warrens' account of the demonic possession and have stated that Debbie's family members in question are suing simply for monetary purposes. So what do you guys think? Demonic possession? Mental illness? or just a very unfortunate alcohol-fueled incident. Thank y'all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Bad News Betty. I'd love to hear your feedback, and you can email me directly at badnewsbettypodcast at gmail.com. The link will be down in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back next Murder Monday with a brand new episode. Until then, please only kill them with kindness, and take care.